This is the When Life Happens podcast, the real podcast all about helping real people overcome real life issues successfully. And since life never stops, let's get after it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the When Life Happens podcast. I'm your host, William Jackson, and I am so excited because we have another opportunity to live, learn, and grow together. And today, I'm excited because I have my brother and friend rocking with me on the podcast today, Ezekiel Zanwu, who's an international poet, motivator, leader of men, incredible businessman. But most importantly, he is a devoted and incredible husband and father of five. So we have a lot to talk about in terms of how to manage business, the creative side, his gifts and callings. And uh, this is going to be a great conversation today. So uh, Zeke, man, thank you for joining me, brother. I'm excited to have you. Look, man, I'm the one that should be honored to be here. I'm with the man, the myth, and the legend. So it's just, man, and you're my friend, man. You're my guy. You're my brother. I'm just grateful to be here, bro. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. So excited. So let's jump into this conversation, man. First, uh, give the people a little back history as to, I mean, you wear so many hats, right? You're a business owner. You're a poet. You are a motivator. You are a leader of men, you, husband, father. You are uh, so many things that people don't even, I don't think, understand. So tell us a little bit about you, the the conglomerate that you manage and, and how, um, you know, you got into the spaces that you're in. Man, that's a that's a big weighty question. So I guess I could just, you know, I it just navigated organically, I would say for myself, man. Um I started off, I grew up in LA, you know, I grew up in, you know, if you ever known about LA and the hood, I grew up in the hood, but I also at the same time was in um scholarship programs since I was in the sixth grade. So I was working hard in school, but still had to face conflict in the street. And I was really, really close yeah. to being a part of that life. Um, you know, but I believe God protected me from that. Went to, uh, during my whole high school phase, I was introduced to uh, creative writing where I started to see myself flourish from the seventh grade. And I was just like, oh man, I'm writing essays and getting gr- gr- great uh, grades and marks on them. I'm like, this is dope. And then I started to write myself. Uh, I first fell in love with uh, a rapper named rapper from Cash Money, Lil Wayne. I was in love with Lil Wayne. I was just like, man, the way he flips words. And I, I wanted to try it myself. Come and I on. saw myself being able to do it, flip deliveries and different things like that. And so in high school, man, I, I, a big part of the time I, I should have been spending paying attention in class, I was writing lyrics. And, you know, I started to develop a passion for, for writing. And I realized that, man, I'm just this type of person that loves to push the limits and see what's possible with words. Um, yeah. And that's where I started, you know, I started to start rap and I got into battle rap in high school. When I got into my first year of college, that's when I finally got serious with the Lord. And I'm like, I'm going to stop rapping because the only person I know that does anything remotely near rap and is a Christian is Kirk Franklin. And maybe T-Bone. Oh, T-Bone, that's a throwback. I was just like, I'm good. I'd rather just not because I don't want to be those guys. Like when I was rapping back in the day, we was talking about everything you could possibly imagine from murders to guns I, guns I never shot or saw. And so um, I, I, I put it down for a little bit and then 
I decided, you know what, let me take these talents and put it into what I'm passionate about now. And that's where me stepping into rapping, um, lyrical content came. And as I began to perform live, I re realized that more people were paying attention and nodding to the beats. And a lot of people weren't really catching my words. And that was my biggest pet peeve. That's why also I enjoyed battle rap because everyone was paying attention to the words because I was putting yeah. the gems inside of them. So I was like, you know what? From here on, I'm not going to rap with a beat. I want people to hear what I'm saying because it's important. I'm passionate about what I'm saying. And so I started to call myself a lyrical evangelist. I did not rap That's with a beat. Dope. I would just go to different places and just do, hit them with the uh, acapellas. And someone saw what I was doing and was just like, man, this is really similar to what we do with spoken word. It was a group in LA really budding with uh, Christian spoken word, hard hitting, convicting stuff. And I was an instant fan, but I thought, man, what they do is far, a far cry from what I do because I, I don't think I could ever be that powerful and convicting. Did my first spoken word poem and that poem took off. I literally traveled uh, for, that was 2010. From that point on, YouTube had just kind of really was kicking off in 2007, eight, yeah. nine, and 10. So, our, those pieces went viral. We, we literally got booked, no promo, just from YouTube videos for years. And in 2014, I, I was just like, man, it dropped in my spirit. I'm like, I'm working with all these guys. They're my friends. Why don't we just come together and do a tour? Now, before this, yeah. I had already been locked in with this entrepreneurial mindset. I was working with people with de developmental disabilities uh, since 2007. And I was, mm. I was just like, all right, God. I want to build a, a, a program that is able to accommodate these people. I was just already on my business, grizzly, until 2013. I realized, man, I, I have to quit. Like, I cannot even manage a regular job while traveling like this. So when I quit, yeah. um, I did not have too many prospects. I was walking on faith. 2014 came up with the idea for a tour. I literally went to Google and said, how to do a tour like literally yeah. that's how I, did it. I was just dropping you know like I, I created a proposal people thought i knew what i was talking about everyone i sent that proposal to accepted uh and it was wow. i worked with so many different promoters that year almost every show sold out uh that in 2015 and wow. that was the birth of the post autumn tour the largest spoken word uh poetry tour in history um and, and i it just happened from just being obedient stepping out on faith and doing what we love rocked it with my friends for about five years um last couple of years we had a, a new batch of artists so i'm not even part of the tour and they've been traveling and doing their thing so that's been incredible um in the midst of the pandemic started a whole different business with uh with studio loss that came out of the the need of of us needing the studio for doing what we did. And I saw somebody did it. I'm just like, wow, this, this is a business. I'm like, I'm into interior design. Let me just try my hand at it. And if it doesn't succeed, at least I could use this place to, you know, you know, shoot my stuff or whatever the I case may be. I think it'd be worth it. It blew up. Celebrities started using it. And that place became, um, our, our locations are the number one uh, content creating studios in Atlanta. So that was just like, that happened out of just like stepping out on faith, trusting God, and that blew up. So I, I, my life is a whole lot of just trying things and not being afraid to just go. And yeah. my life is full of ups and downs and actually failing and, and losing. Um, but I feel like when I feel strongly about something, I feel like it's a God idea and I lean into it. And whatever lesson I learn, 
it takes me to another field. Like we're now progressing into the event spaces. We're going to be doing the wedding venue soon. So, you know, we just lean into the doors that are created from that, from, from even with that, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, during that same period of time, the Lord had pressed heavy on my heart for, um, Working with men, I realized yeah. up to that point, everything that I had done, every business that I had started profited me. And I was just like, Lord, I don't want to live my life like this. I don't want to say that everything that I did for you, like this spoke, spoken word, it's all ministry, but I still own the business. Every yeah. time I went out, I still got some type of love offer. And I was like, I want to commit to serving these men and I never want to get a dime from it. So I've already committed. I don't care if if men's ministries generate millions of dollars. It's always going to go back into the ministry. I will never profit. I will always give my time, my resources, and my efforts to men. And God has not allowed me to let this go. So Band of Brothers established in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic where men, we created a safe space for men to come be vulnerable, share, pray with each other, build each other up in all the practical ways of life. And man, God is really, really moving. We got an event coming up where we're featuring you my brother um, <laughs> why, why have anybody else but the man who actually does this for a living man your voice is so strong in this space and we're just looking forward to God for God doing an amazing thing this will be our third restored event and we're looking forward to God doing some amazing things at night yeah. Man, I, I don't know if, if people are going to really catch the nuances and gems that you were just dropping just in describing your life and history. It's crazy yeah. to hear the levels and the journey and how it started. But you being able to fully lean into seasons, I think, is so pivotal because sometimes people limit themselves because they don't fully commit. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, hearing you in some of your back history you are not afraid of failing. You're not afraid of the lesson and you embrace it fully. And when you do that, you get the full benefits of it. And I think people get partial benefits because they partially commit. It's so it's so beautiful to hear just where you are and just how you've grown and how you are impacting people all across the world. I mean, you're, we need to talk to her. You're in London, you're in South Africa, you are all across the U S man. It's been, it's incredible to, to see and understand how you're impacting people. But here, here's the next question is how do you do all of this and still be a husband and father of five? What's give me the, give me the ages of the children. So the youngest is five and the oldest is 12 and there's two year gaps between all the kids. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. Man. It's a lot. Um, I, I think that question is a trick question sometimes because, you know, once you've uh, reached one hurdle and you've had one victory, then there's going to be another challenge, right? Sure. And so I think there's a learning curve to, towards this. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's almost just like uh, being with your person, you know, yeah. you, you somebody they're beautiful they're amazing but they're going to grow and change so another you have another aspect of them to love another challenge for you to overcome and work with together and my kids are changing when i first had my three girls i was just like oh man having kids is easy we can have one more and i have my boy and i'm just like oh we're shutting this down this is not cool and we we somehow had another child after that it wasn't planned but, you know, I'm just like, man, if we had the boys first, we would have definitely did. We would have stopped that, too. But I, I, I realized, man, I'm, I'm embracing the journey. I think part of the beauty of, you know, we talk about being whole a lot. Being whole is 
accepting that it is a journey, recognizing that there will always be moments for me to be introspective, for me to assess where I am, for me to grow. Sometimes I even ask my kids, how am I doing as a dad? I love that. My wife, love that. How have I been doing as a husband? And sometimes that hurts when you hear stuff like, eh, you know, I asked you this question and you were looking at your phone and you're like, Oof. <laughs> I remember when you said you were going to do this and we still haven't done it. And I'm like, oh, and so I'm like, OK, I got to hear my kids out. And so balancing, yeah. balancing it. I don't know if there's a true art to balancing, but being present and being intentional. That is mm-hmm. a choice that you can make. Um, and I'm, I'm be- being intentional is actually like we, we keep on talking about this leaning in and asking the hard questions and putting yourself, you know, putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to be critiqued and um, to grow and to be pruned yeah. for growth. So that's that's kind of how I kind of manage having all these kids and I bring them into my life. You know, I'm making plans that pretty soon I'll be taking my eat one child with me to my trips so they can see what that's mm. like. Um, you know, with the type of work that I do when my kids need me at the school, I'm there. I'm the one who helps them with their work. I'm part of the process. They're in my process. And so as long as they know so that we're present, they feel it and I feel them. That's so good, brother. That's so yeah. good. So uh, what I'm hearing that you're saying is there's a level of intentional accountability where you are intentionally holding yourself accountable but you're also present. I think that people miss the aspect of being fully present. It's that it's the fullness of what we were just talking about, how you fully commit to something, but you're also fully present. And so many times, you know, as a fellow business owners, that there are many things that are going on and you got to go and you got to put out fires and you're trying to scale businesses and you're trying to get them to the place where they are productive. But It doesn't matter how productive they are if your family and your children don't feel like you're present. And Um, it's it's the illusion. It's the illusion. I think some people fail because there's this illusion that if I just let it be and let it flow, that things will somehow just fall together. And while there may be some truth to that, which, which gives us some type of sanity, I think being willing to do the hard things sometimes that's literally, I mean, from work, from working out to just everything I've done, like I'm willing to subject myself to the hard things. I'm willing to subject myself to the lesson in the loss, to the, to the, to the, the the hard, the hard conversations that I'm putting myself through. I'm willing to have those tough conversations, go through these tough seasons so that I can grow. And so if you're not willing to subject yourself to what may be inconvenient, I guarantee you that you're limiting and putting a cap on your growth. For sure, for sure. So that's so good. Where did where did that start? Have you always been one who was willing to run into the fire or did something happen in life to sort of shape your idea of I just need to start embracing the difficult situations? Have you always had that? Man, uh, I don't even think that it was just me always. Man, I didn't want to lose. Yeah. <laughs> I did not plan <laughs> to lose. I just realized that, man, when I lost, it didn't kill me. Yeah. And I learned and I got better. And in fact, it contributes to my expertise. Now, I could teach you some things about losing to keep you from losing. And I think it builds me up in such a way that it's almost it's almost exciting. Like, I, yeah. you, you know, me and you have worked out before and I, we've already said it. Like, if it don't hurt, I don't feel right. 
Absolutely. Like, I don't like keep. I don't like when I keep going to the gym. I'm doing these chest workouts, and I don't feel it in my chest when I. I, I, I feel good. I don't like Absolutely. that. Like, I, I, I need. I need a little bit. It's not to say like I'm a sadist or anything like that, but I need to know that I'm allowing myself to be challenged. I need to know I'm not yeah. running away from the challenge because, like you said, you could also simultaneously be running away from the fullness. And that's yeah. That's so good because it's it's in the pain that we actually learn the most. I think that people think that the best place to be is in, you know, the success zone or when things are flowing. And that's a great place to be. But you learn more in the losses. You learn how to strategically sustain what you've been praying for, working for and and desire in the losses. So it's almost like that the loss is a gift. It gives you the opportunity to develop beforehand so mm. that you can lose on the lower level so that you can sustain the success that you've been actually working for. That's so good. That's so good, bro. So so what are some of the the, the sort of key takeaways in terms of how you would ask somebody to develop that or help somebody develop that desire? Like what are some things that sort of limit people from getting in the way from fully committing, like in working with men, especially, and we're going to dive into that men's space, but just in general, in working with people all across the world, what are some fundamental things that you have seen that causes people to be limited in their ability to fully dive in? Yeah, I, I think part of it is, I don't know if this even answers the question, but um, part of it is not being afraid of other people, in a sense, coming in to that space and yeah. challenging. And like I said, with my family, I allowed them to challenge and to come into my world to challenge me. Um, you know, the, one of the reasons why I pivoted when it came to spoken word, I used to, I remember 2019 was one of my busiest years. I did an entire tour. I did probably two tours that year. And then I did a third tour with Kirk Franklin that year. It was crazy. I had to send my family to LA because I literally could not be home and they needed help like for three months. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember my daughter, she, she told me, daddy, I love that you had, have a job, but I wish it wasn't this one. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then I told my younger daughter at the time, I was like, well, um, my, me and my baby daughter, I was like, um, well, if I don't work, then you guys can't eat. And she was like, then, um, we don't, we don't want to eat. I said, what? That. Wait. What I was like, we don't. She was like, we don't want to eat that bad. If this is what it, if this is the fruit of that, if this is the result, not having daddy, well, then we won't. I'm, I'm sure she wasn't, you know, fully, you know, wanting to starve. But of it course, was in of that course. moment, I was able to see, like, okay, something has to change, and I needed to be willing to allow that voice to impact me. If you're mm-hmm. so, you're in this echo chamber on your own, and you think your thoughts are the best thoughts, your ways are the best way. Even in scripture, there's a way. Um, that, uh, that there's a way that um, seemeth right to a man, but the end mm-hmm. thereof is death. death and and I don't want to be the yeah. type of person that is not willing to allow another voice to challenge me. And so I think part of in the journey, learning to embrace the hard things often came from outside of myself, often came from ideas that weren't birthed <laughs> from me. And so yeah. while I, I'm cool with the creative ideas, cool, let's go, let's go. Sometimes there's voices that come out that tell me to slow down or think about it this way or look at it another way. And I think that's wow. really essential for growth. 
That's okay. So we got to unpack that. Like you're, when your child says, we don't want to eat, if that's how, how did you reconcile with that? Because there's a part of the accountability to the people that we are responsible for and that we're in relationship to. But then there's also that accountability to the destiny and the purpose and the plans that God established for us. And there are things that you were created to do, which you were living and you are living in those spaces. How do you reconcile with that balance of, okay, I know I need to be here, but there's also a mandate on my life for me to actually like work out in these places. How did you reconcile with that? Did you just pull back some? Did you make strategic changes over time? Like, because it's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow when you hear something like that. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't have like a five-year plan (laughs) when they told me that I was just like, I know things can't be the same. And I I committed to that point. I was like, I will never tour like this again. Like tour have to bend to my, to my schedule and to what I have going on with my kids. And then, um, I guess it's, you know, it's really putting things in perspective and prioritizing my life. I know that God has gifted me these souls yeah. to steward. Um, and while God has also given me, um, you know, these talents and gifts and purpose, they're not going anywhere. But my girls right. are. They're, my girls yeah. are. They're going places. <laughs> they're going to yeah. grow up. And I want I want to be conscious and cognizant about the legacy that I'm leaving with yeah. my presence. What does my presence mean to them? Um, and to what what does my absence and how does that feel to them? What does that do to them? I, I remember, man, you think you're doing something when you really, you know, you're making this money and you're trying to, you know, take care of the family. But oftentimes when you really, really think about it, you're really trying to protect yourself. You're really it's a it's fear based mm. the way you try to hoard so much and you think you're doing it for your kids and your family. I asked my kids, what was your favorite thing that I've done for you. And I thought they were going to mention Disneyland. I thought they were going to talk about the year that I bought all of them Jordans or the year that I took them all shopping or we went to this place or we went to that place. And they said, Daddy, oh, remember when we got the uh, water guns? I mean, you mean the water guns from the Dollar Tree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you got the water guns and the water hose and you were spraying us and we were shooting the water guns. She was like, that that was my best memory of you. I was like, I'm I'm wasting my time. I'm like, some of us men are literally like killing ourselves, grinding yeah. ourselves to death, trying to make an impression that has the opposite impact on our kids' lives. Imagine saying you're doing it all for your kids only for them to say, I wish my dad was a better dad. Wow. I wish he was there for us. To be honest, the the times I'm in most anxiety because of finances, when I look at my kids' faces and the way they play, they're literally unbothered. Like I, we could literally just be eating a couple noodles. Yeah. Hey, daddy, daddy. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. So I need to yeah. figure this thing out in a way that I'm able to prioritize them. Because if if if, if a man or a father loves his family, that's the end. The man is going to do what's necessary. Yeah. To take care. So I'm not. I'm not worried about. Oh, how am I going to take care of my kids? Listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen. If yeah. I'm a Uber, I'm a Uber. <laughs> I'm gonna take care of these kids, but I'm gonna. I want to yeah. make sure that they feel it. That my actions are translated and interpreted the way they should be. Wow, brother. Oh my God. So much wisdom there. Like, 
Even down to the point where you said, I thought they were going to think about the time when I bought all of them Jordans. It's And going back to how you correlated that thought where you said, you're really just protecting yourself. Like we put our children in all of these things because we want to appear to people as though we're also making sure that we we are doing the right thing by our children, that we are investing. And then it could be sometimes, too, that it's rooted in, I didn't have, so I want you to have the best of everything. But a lot of times it's it's the little things that mean everything. We were just at a soccer game um, with our little one and he finished his game and him and his friend. So he's six and his friend is four and they want to call me out to a race. Now, listen, brother, these these almost 40 year old knees are not the same, <laughs> but I knew that I'm about to run up and down this field because it's those core memories of investing your presence in time that yes. you'll remember most. Not what I bought, not what I you speaking of Dollar Tree. We went over to a dollar store and found these little lightsaber swords and they are literally his favorite toy now. We cut off the lights. You could not tell us we were not Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. We are living it up with toys that didn't hardly cost a thing, but it's the intimate moments that are literally, I think, shaping, shaping their entire lives. It's so much to to pull out of that for men and to be able to understand that you could work yourself to death. And then when it's time for you to transition on. Your family's left with a void because all you did was actually give yourself fully to your occupation. Wow. Because all of my time is here and where my time is, that's where my treasure is. That's where my thoughts are. That's where my focus is. And the people who are working all of the time, you get consumed with that. And you are, you, you know, you're on the phone all the time and you're taking calls at a specific time. Like I'm strategic. My phone goes, oh, do not disturb at a certain time. I don't handle Good. business after a certain time because I know how important those moments are. Because time is the only thing we don't get back. Wow. We can get more money. We can yeah. get more clothes. We can get more material things. We can take more vacations. I don't get this moment back ever. So, wow. so important. So, so incredible, so incredibly important. So in, yeah. in, in all of the things that you're doing, they sort of have converged and circling back to you said, which is so admirable, by the way, can I stop and just celebrate you, man? Not just as being an incredible husband and incredible father, but being able to say, I want to pour into men and I don't want to dime from it. Mm. That is in. It's incredibly unheard of in today's day and age because everybody's doing something for profit mm. and we've lost the essence of simply serving, mm. of having a servant's heart. And as a servant, I just want to give and I want to pour and I want to support for you to say, I don't want a dime for this. I just want to create a safe space for men to come heal. Man, I'm telling you, it's it's and to see where it's continually evolving to the men that you're affecting all over the world, man. I'm, I'm honored to to have a front row seat to it and to see it and to be a part of it, man. So you're, you how, built it. You built it with us, man. Listen, how did you get there? Like, so that I know that was the cry of your heart. And and let's talk about a little bit of 
why it's so important to build men and to pour into them and create a safe space for men to heal because we are masters. I know for years I was a master at internalization Mm. that because I'm a man, I felt like my strength lied in my ability to be unfazed. Wow. So I would be broken inside, but you would never know it. I would Mm. be numb emotionally, but externally operating at a high level. How did you get to this place where now pouring into men is a a a large focus? And tell me why it's so important. Man, uh, it wasn't until later on in my life that I realized, you know, even my father's presence. My my dad was a present father, is a present father, and he's he uh he's he passed it to this day. But there are some things that I desired from my dad that I didn't get, and I didn't get language to understand those things up until later on. And I started to realize, man. These subtle things, man, operate against us later on. And I start to see some of that stuff, even in the way I was trying to navigate being a father and a husband myself. And I'm just like, man, I want to be a resource. I want to begin to, you know, do whatever I can to make sure that I'm on the opposite, on, on the right side of this war. And I, I realized that the enemy really want, has this keen desire to take out men, um, specifically because the enemy wants to take down the family. The family, the the enemy hates the family, hates the church, hates what God wants to do in his kingdom through the church, which happens through the family. And the way to destroy the family is to break down these men. And um, he's he's going after us at young ages, man. And I I wanted to get on the right side of this war. I wanted so my heart is for men and also young men, because, you know, even, you know, me and my wife, we've been having these relationship conversations for years Mm -hmm. and we have watched how things have literally literally been degrading even in that space. That also is a double motivation because I have daughters that are growing up in this society. I'm like, man, if we're not pouring into these young men, if we're not building fathers today, then our tomorrow is going to be jacked up and we're going to be raising kids in a world that that's going to crush them. And so that's part of my, you know, my mission and my goal is to, 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 to attempt to secure a more solid future to, for, for my kids to have to options for friends and family and to build mm. with people that actually have, you know, a solid heart. And so, um, you know, doing what we can saying, if there was someone in my life that would have been, would able to speak to me when I was 16, when I was 24, yeah, yeah. When I was trying to navigate and understand and it would have changed so much for me. And so I want to be, I want to be that voice, not just myself, but I want to encourage and empower other men to be voices in their community for other men. And, you know, it's like each one teach one. My thing is, man, no man left behind, you know, yeah. that is my motto and yeah. I, I'm sticking by it. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that you, the word that you specifically used was the war on men and manhood because so many times men are fighting these internal battles that people have no knowledge of. And we carry things and we think that we are strategically being able to muscle through it or to shake it off, but it's affecting and filtering out into every interaction, into our relationships, into how we do business. And the war on men, it's so incredible because we suffer silently. Mm. And when we did the conference and, and, you know, you, you start talking about from a young age and it was boys and how a lot of men are affected at an early age and they get to this point where they don't 
because once you're affected as a child, you don't have the language to discuss how you're feeling and what you're going through. So if I can get you as a boy before you have the language and the strength to speak up for yourself, you become a man who's unable to talk and to voice his feelings and so many things that we do hinge on our ability to communicate. Our authority is in communication, being able to speak to speak over, speak over our our wives and our children and and our families and to speak to things because we have authority in our voices. What are some of those things that you feel like in this war on manhood are some of the key points that you're seeing in men that need to be addressed and identified and creating spaces for them to heal? You just said it, man. Men not finding a safe space enough to to be and to speak. Um, speaking is a really huge part of it. Uh, a lot of stuff that we're battling with, the turmoil that is within us, it's exacerbated. It's made worse when we don't have an outlet to express those things. So what we yeah. end up finding is men are running to their vices to mm. self-medicate their inability to express. And so they're expressing themselves by you know, getting with multiple women or drugs or addictions and things of that sort. And so creating this space is giving men the opportunity to heal. Scripture says, James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another so that there may be healing among you. And this is giving men an opportunity to be honest, to be real with each other. And we don't often get those opportunities because, I mean, we, it's often a cliche that says, that says, you know, men, we have to be tough and we're encouraged to be tough. But I think it's this silent, subtle disapproval of mm. men not being able to do so. And just not there's this lack of the culture is not prime for men. If, if a man was to come to me just bawling his eyes out saying, I just can't do this. Most men wouldn't know how to handle that situation. You're like, get off me, bro. Like, get yeah. the kids off me. Bro. We know how to comfort a woman. We know, yeah. how, you know how to be there for a woman, but I can't be there for my brother. And he can't be honest. He could just only be this shell. He can only be this facade. So this is another way of re-enculturating our men to deprogram for what, from what they're used to. And so we're encouraging male affection where a brother sees a brother and hugs a brother. And it's yeah. not, you don't got to say no homo before you hug a brother. You don't have to Come feel on. weird before you speak <laughs> and say, I love you to my brother. I say, I love you to this man. And he's a grown man with a beard just like me. And I love Listen, I love you, bro. And, so, and that's and and this is part of what we're doing. We're 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 getting involved and getting consumed in a culture that we want to pass on, so that my son is not afraid of of being honest and and sharing and sharing his truth and how he honestly feels with another man or with myself. And so that's where I'm at with that. I love that man. It's yeah, it's it's. I think, like you said, that's that's so key that you highlight is that we know how to comfort and be affectionate to a woman, but I think that when when it comes to a man there there once a man is vulnerable with you it speaks or highlights sometimes the aspects that are broken in you because something like correlates when i am vulnerable in the space with somebody who understands who gets it you know what it's like to 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 be a man and to be a leader and to have so many responsibilities and to carry weight that no one knows about and so i think that when men are vulnerable something resonates within us because if i see you crying 
there's something in me that wants to cry too, because I understand I get it. And being in these conferences, man, where men are crying out and they're uh, showing support to one another. And it's even unspoken at times where someone can just put their arm around somebody and they start crying. It's just to know that I'm in a space where people understand. And I think that a lot of times men feel like no one understands me. My wife yes. doesn't get it. My 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 children don't understand the pressures that I'm under. My my friends maybe not have clear understanding of the things that I'm facing internally and I'm struggling with how to be an effective leader and even like how you were talking about, like I'm I'm now it's the war of how can I effectively provide, but still be effectively present? You know, so it's, it's, it's the internal things and we beat ourselves down so much, man. We are, we're so hard on ourselves. How do you help men break out of that place where they are self-sabotaging and they are beating themselves down to the point that they don't have anything left to be effective in their spaces? Yeah, I, I think being present, being there, yeah. being an ear, being a heart. I think the, it's the simplest thing. I think sometimes we think that we have to be the solution and we're so solution driven. Mm. We're logical. We're rational. Well, if a man's crying, yeah. well, what's wrong? Let's fix that. We say, what's wrong? Because we intend yes. to make it right. And I think if we can kind of get the culture needs to get to the place where we can learn to be comfortable sitting in the morning, sitting in the grieving, grieving with, mm. standing with another brother. I think that makes a world of a difference. Sometimes, man, we just don't feel seen. So being a, a, a vessel to see another brother, to hear another brother, to understand another brother, that makes a world of a difference. To embrace another brother, like we suffer in silence. So having an ear that I could just share, man, I just need to get it off my chest. Burdens yeah. are just things that have not been surrendered. And if I don't have an opportunity or space to put it down, then it will crush me as I journey. That is so good. Oh my. If I don't have a space to put it down, come on, it bro. will crush me on my journey. I'm going to steal it. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I'm going to steal it. I'm going to give you credit the first two times. And the third time is just going to be a mystery as to where oh, it came yeah. from. <laughs> come on, bro. If I don't have a space to put it down, Wow. 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 Because I instantly go back into spaces and time and in, in, in my history where I didn't have space to put it down. And it started compiling and it started getting so heavy that I couldn't function. And there were times where I was leading thousands of people and retreating to a bedroom after I was done laying in a dark room in a fetal position trying to fight through my depression for the rest of the hours that I was awake and trying to battle it. Cause I didn't have a space to put it down. That is so pivotal Bruh. having a space. I'm sorry. I just, that it hit me so hard right because here. when you don't have a space to put it down, whatever the it is, yes. it will start to consume you. Oh, yeah. And then if I don't have a space to put it down and Mm. it starts to consume me, I will start identifying myself by the it. So I'm holding depression. Oh, my God. I can't put it down. So I start identifying as someone who's depressed. 
Wow. So then everything that I do is now filtered through a lens of me adopting a mindset and a emotional state of depression. If I don't have a state to put my anger down and anger starts to infiltrate every part of me, then I become this angry man who mm. has an inability to connect to people, to effectively have relationships. And wow. then because I, I held it so long, I start saying statements like we start saying things like this is just who I am. Wow. That this is just this is just me. This is how I move. This is how I've always done it. When in fact, this is who I've become because I've held on to this for too long. My gosh. That's so incredible. Man, when you think about that, how many men are carrying things and don't have a space to put it down? And and because sometimes is the one time I tried to put it down, I was judged. I was called weak or I was called inferior. If a man is is takes the risk, because a lot of times as men, we're calculated risk takers. So I'll take the risk blindly once. And then if it doesn't pan out, a man's psyche tells him never do that again. Never. That that logic and history tells me that when I do that, it doesn't work out. So never do that again. And we have probably in times I could probably bet that the men who listen to this or hear these segments there have been times where we try to put things down with people who were not capable to to be our landing place. Wow. So I'm trying to put it down, but where it's going to land is not built to handle what I need to put down. So if I try to put it down in a sense and this doesn't work out, then my instinct tells me I should just never put stuff down again. Wow. And then I just carry and carry and carry. That is Imagine so. If the, these gyms were literally designed. Squat racks literally have holders for you to carry everything for you to put them down. Imagine that's it is so absurd to think that heavy things were meant to be held perpetually. Literally, the object wow. of the gym, a, a center and a, a, a um, uh, the parameters for growth is the idea that you can, you're allowed to carry heavy things, but for so long. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put oh. it down. And if you do carry heavy things again, guess what? There is a split, a place designed for you to put it down. And this world should be like a gym, a place for growth. But we have somehow in our mind, or people have ran away with the squat rack bars. People have ran away with the placements for the dumbbells. People have destroyed those things. They have do not put them on me signs on them. And we're running, imagine a gym, everybody running around fatiguing their muscles because there's literally nowhere to put the weight down. And so it's this idea that it's not taboo to carry. It's not that taboo to carry it for a little while. Yeah. But it was never been meant to be carried perpetually because you're going to yeah. have hard days. You're going to yeah. have issues that are you're uncertain about. You're going to have your confusions. You're going to have some anxieties. There's going to be some problems, but you have to have a space. There have to be places that I could identify where I could put this down and it's safe. Man, because how crazy would I look running down the street with 300 pounds on a squat rack on my shoulder? 
just walking. People would literally be stopping, probably running into each other to say that man is crazy because that doesn't even belong out here. Wow. So when I'm carrying my issue into places where it doesn't even belong, I don't even have an understanding that the things that I am walking around with are making me appear crazy to other people when I can effectively communicate, when I can effectively, because I'm holding things that were not designed for me to carry perpetually. That's so good. And even in the gym. We're not great at multitasking. And so you're trying to work, you're trying to do your office work as a professional, but in the back, on the back of you, there is something that is so much pressure and we've gotten used to it. And so that's the crazy part that you're saying. Like I have literally, like I've literally carried this so long that the bow of my back is the, it's just the way that I move. I walk in burden. I carry burden because that's all, this is the only way I know how to walk. So imagine the freedom that is waiting on the other side of knowing that there's a safe place for you to put it down. Man. And the I benefit walk straight. Go ahead. Bro. Oh, no, I can't. But not even being able to walk straight and the benefit of having a spotter of when I'm lifting the weight <laughs> and it gets too heavy for me having a brother to say, I got you. I got you because there is a benefit, like you said, of lifting heavy uh, and, and, and growing in the amount that you can lift because it's developing a certain level of strength. But I need somebody to help me when I'm pushing myself to say you're supported. And that's hey, why I love. We're going to bring the bar at Restored and we're going to do the illustration. Oh, let's do it. To. Let's we, we have to. to. Okay. We have to do that because I think men need to see the visual. Yes. Of what it means to carry the weight, but also be supported in it and to know that it only has to be for a moment that you are not designed to carry this perpetually, because I think there are benefits in hurt. I think there are benefits in even heartbreak. I think there are benefits in a loss because it teaches you more about people. It teaches you more about yourself. It makes you look at things through more of a clear lens. You know how to spot things that are, that are presenting themselves to you. You have a greater scene, a keen sense of understanding and, and a discernment to where I can spot things from afar off. So there are valuable lessons that come in the points or in the parts of our lives that are heavy for us. But man, eventually you got to put that down. Come on. Eventually you got to get to a place where you're willing to, to embrace forgiveness. Eventually you got to be in a place where you put it down and stop identifying yourself with what happened to you as a child, because you are not what you went through. Wow. You, you are not, you, you are identifying. I think men are identifying and women alike are identifying themselves to buy a wrong story by the wrong narrative. We say things like I, I, I was this, or I am a, a, uh, abuse victim, or I am, uh, 
I, I, I am someone who is heartbroken and we look at it and we start identifying that this is who I am. And instead of saying, this is what I went through, wow. that I went through that, but it didn't break me. And, and I experienced a heartbreak, but I got stronger from it. And I, I was depressed, but I was able to find healing and help and the necessary tools to make me a stronger person today. So we got to stop. Stop identifying by the wrong narrative because the narrative that we identify with is the one that we rehearse. And we start rehearsing the narrative and we start telling ourselves and reaffirming the things that happen to us. And that we almost like every time we get into healthy situations, and I want your take on this, is because a lot of times we get into healthy situations that start to unlock the chains on our heart and our mind and our emotions and the our souls. But because we keep reaffirming the wrong narrative, we keep locking the chains back. It's almost like I'm trying to set you free. I got the key. I open the lock that's on your leg and you keep putting it back on. And it's this cat and mouse game and we can push people away. I think I think men have been especially uh, good unbeknownst to them at, at pushing people away who are trying to unlock some of those chains because we keep putting them back on ourselves by the narrative that we affirm and reaffirm. Like, how do you feel that? The story that we tell ourselves as a storyteller, as someone who lives in the spaces of knowing how powerful words are, how is how how strong is the narrative that you rehearse? Bruh, imagine someone walking up to you and telling you to cut off your arm. Mm. You're gonna look at them like they're crazy. You're gonna be like, This yeah. is my like this is my arm. I was born with this arm. You begin to and then what if they told you that's not your arm? Like, what are you talking about? This my, I'm, I'm built to this arm. Like, I can imagine having being so inclined to and being interwoven with your dysfunction that you don't even know how to function without it. That's why when someone wow. comes to tamper or to release you from it, it's not freedom; it's a threat. What? Do you, wow. What are you trying to do? Why are you trying to take my arm away? Listen, you don't see what I'm saying. That's not your arm. Yeah. <laughs> that is a chain. That is bondage. That's dysfunction. And I'm trying to help you see that. And so that's why it's so important. It is important to have someone that is willing to help us identify those things. But we have to be willing to see things for what they are. Yeah. Um, and I, I think when we come to the revelation that certain things that we've gotten so comfortable with, certain darkness, certain fears, certain anxieties that we've grown accustomed to um, that are killing us, that have that we've learned to navigate with, we cannot navigate with those things anymore. Are we afraid? Hmm. Are we afraid of the detachment process? Because when we think detachment, mm. this is going to be painful. I'm not going to be able to function. So it's so fear-based that if you touch on the things or the things that I've held onto for so long, that I may not know how to move on without it. I do not know what life looks like exposing this, pulling this out of the closet. I cannot stomach or imagine 
living with these secrets exposed to someone who I say I love. And so this wow. is one of the challenges for individuals who have someone who is willing to labor with them and walk with them. We got to be willing to release as much as yeah. they're willing to release us. We got to be willing to allow that release to happen. Yeah, man. Because it's almost like I would rather stay comfortable in the pain that I know than risk the pain that I'm unfamiliar with. At least this pain I know. That I know. (sighs) At least this pain I have awareness of. I'm comfortable with this. I know how this feels. So I I, I, I know is better than the freedom unknown. I don't. Oh my. Oh my God. The chains I know is better than the freedom I don't or the freedom unknown. Oh, how crazy is that when we really think about how many people live in this state of, at least I know these chains. And that is so like, that's a book, you know, that hopefully that's the next one. The chains I know. The chains I know. Man, I'm telling you, like this, this is so revolutionary and, and we're going to have to continue this conversation, like <laughs> talking about the chains that I know and how accustomed we grow to identifying with it, not having a safe place to put it down. And it starts to shape how we identify ourselves and I get so comfortable with the chains I know, man. And bro, and this is why some people say, man, I, I, I'm never going to fall in love again. Or I'm, yeah. I'm going to stay yeah. single. Because like, I'd rather this darkness than some potential unknown risk of freedom from this darkness. Like, wow. I don't even know that freedom. I'm uncomfortable. I, I'd just rather... I just rather, and not to say that singleness is bondage, but it's my inability or unwillingness to even trust anyone again. I wouldn't yeah. even give anyone an inch like that. I can't, yeah. I can't allow myself to know love again. And, and at the same time, I'm hindering myself from a love that could p- potentially free me. Yeah, because we don't even oftentimes see how the what we identify as the chains of heartbreak was actually the freedom that you needed because you could have been in a toxic situation that was not suitable for you living out your complete purpose and destiny. So the relationship in a sense could have been the chains that I know. And then when it comes and it breaks and now I step into the freedom now I withdraw completely because my mind tells me never do that again. It's 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 crazy. It's so much to unpack your, there, man. Your book, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much to unpack there, man. And I'm excited, bro. I appreciate you for spending this time with me, man. You've given us so much wisdom, so much insight. It's always crazy when we get together, man, and we start bouncing off these ideas. <laughs> I'm grateful for your brotherhood and for your friendship, man. Uh, I get better because uh, we're connected, man. So um, before we get out of here, tell people where they can find you, your, your media your social media and then tell us a little bit about restored what's happening in new york and what men can expect 
Absolutely, man. If you would like to follow me, you can follow, follow me on everything at Words by Ezekiel. And we have Restore coming up October 27th to the 29th. It's going to be an amazing three days of impact. Of course, practical solutions um, for yeah. I mean, in the areas of financial development, uh, physical development. Um, mental, emotional. So we actually have people coming to speak into all of these areas and also spiritually. Like it's always a time of spiritual encounter and transformation. Um, I have my brother, uh, Will, that's going to be there breaking things, knocking down walls. I got Jerry Flowers coming through, <laughs> a host of other amazing, gifted men, and just men that are willing to come around, rally around other brothers. It's just going to be a time of vulnerability, truth, and peace. It's an uh, experience like you've never had. So I encourage you, jump, jump in jump in the water, man. Get, get, get in with us because it's going to be an amazing, amazing time in New York. So October 27th to the 29th in Brooklyn, New York. Man, all the information is in my bio, Words by Ezekiel. And if you want to go to the uh, the link for Restore, it's uh, bandofbrothersintl.org. Bandofbrothersintl.org. All right. I love that, bro. And you just dropped some new fire merch, man. Like, oh, so I'm going to put all the links and, you know, everything in the description for where they can find all your things. You're an author. Uh, you got uh, you and your wife are doing some amazing things. You and sis have some relationship games, some cards yeah. that make you have hard conversations, accountable things, but make you grow and find love again and, and create that spark. You creating healing spaces for relationships. You're doing so much, man. Like it's 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 yeah. incredible to see and and be uh, a witness to and to be able to support it. So thank you, brother, man. I appreciate you for all that you're doing in the earth, for all that you're doing for men, for all that you're doing for your family and all that you're doing in my life, man. You your life is literally a source of light that is making the world better, man. So we're grateful and um, the world is so much better with you in it, man. I'm grateful. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the When Life Happens podcast. And we are excited about continuing these conversations. If you're a man, tap in and to the band of brothers, because it will literally change your life to have a support system. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the When Life Happens podcast. I hope that you found this episode both impactful and inspiring. Before you go, like and share the show, subscribe to it, leave us a comment, rate us and review us on all podcast platforms. Your engagement helps us reach more people and create a better show. But the fun doesn't have to stop here. If you're interested in more resources and tools of how to live a fulfilled life and step fully into your purpose or purchase your copy of the life-changing book, When Life Happens, head over to www.theofficialwilliamjackson.com for more information. Until next time, keep rising, keep thriving, and remember that no matter what life throws your way, you have everything inside of you you need to overcome and succeed.